Christ alone is what we believe, right? Amen. Salvation in Christ alone, on faith alone. So I love that song. Good selection. How's everyone doing today? Still staying in there? Well, we had a wonderful breakfast this morning, didn't we, Leroy? No pancakes. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up. <laughs> Uh, we we kind of had uh, a running joke all week that we weren't going to have pancakes this morning. Why? So, huh? Why? It's apparently it's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> no, anyway, Thursday we had our Lord's Supper Thursday, and so typically on Lord's Supper, the deacons and the pastor wears a coat and tie. And I got there uh, Thursday, and I told Leroy and some of the other deacons that I had to apologize that my jacket wouldn't fit any longer. <laughs> so I was going to just be wearing a shirt. And uh, so, that, yeah, then I found out this morning, or I, I knew that we were going to have pancakes, so I come up to Leroy and say, well, well, where's the pancakes? And he said, well, when the pastor can get in his jacket, we'll have pancakes again. <laughs> so, ouch, that one hurt. <laughs> So that's going to be my incentive, Leroy. Lose a little bit of weight. <laughs> well, I hope you have your Bible. And if you don't, there's a Bible in front of you that you can pick up. And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So taking a little detour from the book of Hebrews just because it's Easter and because this is such a tremendous section of Scripture. And, of course, uh, preached quite frequently on Easter uh, actually, last Easter I had this picked out to preach, and then we ended up not having services. I did it online, but it's just not the same as doing it with you guys being here. So I wanted to go through this message again from a little bit different viewpoint. Uh, you should have a handout as well. That's really important that you have that today because it's good to take notes. If you can take notes, you're going to remember things a little bit better and maybe during the middle of this week, God will bring something to your mind and you can say, oh yeah, that's in my notes. We talked about that. That's the way I believe scripture works and the Holy Spirit works. He works through scripture and he works through the prompting of the Holy Scriptures. And so when that time comes where we need scripture, we need, we need wisdom from the Holy Spirit, he can bring that to our mind. And then also at the bottom, there's actually a place for you to participate today by what your decision will be at, at, the, at the conclusion of the sermon. So uh, we'll be getting to that at a later part. But what, what is important to you? For many of us, uh, there's so many things that are important, especially now going on in the world. Obviously, we would say our family's important to us. Most of us would say our jobs are important to us. Some may have on the on their mind all the time, COVID. You know, I hate to even bring the word up because we're so tired of probably hearing about COVID, but it's something that is going on in our life today. And then also you could list a lot of different things. You could say there's the threat of China. There is our nation and the moral decline of our nation that is important that we praying about it. Many of us are concerned about our basic freedoms that we have in this nation, or at least had in this nation. But the Apostle Paul says in here that there's one thing that is of first importance, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we know it, that we understand it, that we live by it, 
and that we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so we're going to be studying about that today and just very simply outlining the, the gospel message. And you might wonder, well, why do I need to hear this again? Because I believe all people need to hear the gospel regularly, don't you? Amen. I, I, and I, I believe that because for a Christian who has already received Christ as their Lord and Savior, it is very encouraging to hear that. I don't think we ever get tired of hearing of the love of Jesus for us and the sacrifice that he made and the difference that he has made in our life. And so everyone here who is a Christian hopefully today will be encouraged to persevere in that faith. The book of Hebrews, if you've been here for those messages, already has talked about the need for us to persevere in our faith. And so hearing the gospel for us helps us. It reminds us of the sacrifice made for us and that we have committed ourselves to persevere in this faith right up until the time that we see Jesus himself. But it's especially important, too, for people who may not know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And there may be some here today who do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior. They may have heard about Jesus. They may have heard about the cross, what Jesus did on the cross. But they've never really trusted in that or embraced Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so for them, it's an opportunity for them, hopefully, to hear very clearly and precisely what the gospel is because Paul really outlines it so well in the scripture. And so if you don't mind standing, if you can stand for the reading of God's word, it's going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 11. And Paul starts out by saying, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are, are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have today to look at this scripture, preserved these many thousands of years for this very day on Easter Sunday where we could hear these words read and then preached on and hopefully obeyed. And so we ask that you would teach us. We ask that you would give us supernatural ability to understand the scriptures, that we might respond to them the way you want us to respond and continue to live the life of faith that you have called us to live. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, obviously we don't have a whole lot of time to go through the whole first uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, but 
You maybe remember, we went through Corinthians not too long ago. It's been a couple years ago, but Paul's really kind of uh, giving it to this church, so to speak. Uh, they are a relatively immature church. It's a Gentile church for the most part, so they are unfamiliar with the Jewish law and all the requirements of that. And so he's had to go back and teach them about leadership in the church because some of them were playing favorites with the leaders. Some were following Paul, some were following Apollos, when really they should have been following Christ, right? So Paul takes the time to make sure that they're focused back on Christ. He talks to them about lawsuits and whether it's right for a Christian to file a lawsuit against another fellow believer, and he says it's not. And then he goes on, he talks about marriage and divorce, and he talks about uh, even some things that would make us blush today, you know, sexual situations in the church and, and marriage and different things like that. And so I think at this point in the book, he's wanting to come back to the gospel and tell these young Christians, this is why you believed in the first place. You believed in the first place because you understood what Jesus had done for you and you were willing to accept him as Lord and Savior. And so be encouraged in all these other things that are going on in your church. Be encouraged, but keep your focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to encourage them. And this scripture, to be honest, is just too good to pass up on Easter. It's just too well explained by Paul, and it's easy for us to understand. But we really want to try to focus on it this time. First of all, I, I want to answer the question, can we trust what Paul is saying here? Absolutely, we can trust what Paul is saying here. He said, everything that happened according to Jesus happened according to scripture, right? It happened as was foretold by the scriptures. And just think about that. Just think about if someone today could tell you what was going to happen exactly a week from now. You know, their track record after a while would be pretty good. No one's done that, of course, except the prophets of God. But that's exactly the point here is that all of these things, his death, his burial, his resurrection were all done according to scripture. And we can trust the things that we have heard. We can also trust, I think, because of the, uh, the witness of the apostles themselves. One of the questions that came up in Sunday school was, uh, what, why do you have faith that the resurrection happened the way it did? And one of my responses has always been, these disciples invested their whole life in the fact that the resurrection happened. And even under the threat of persecution and the threat of being killed, which most of them were martyred for their faith, they did not recant. They did not say, no, it's not true. But they went ahead and they died for their faith. And so... We can trust in the gospel because of these credible eyewitnesses. And we can trust in the gospel also because it changes lives, doesn't it? Amen. Most of you out here, I've seen change in your life because of the gospel. Sometimes it's a drastic change when we first come to know Christ. But then even after we come to know Christ, there is gradual change into the image of Christ, or at least there should be. It's always been a consistent message. And I know there are many denominations and there's many questions people have about why there are so many denominations, but the basic gospel has never changed over 2,000 some years. It's always been the same. Jesus Christ, death on the cross, 
paid, our, paid for our sins in such a way that when we believe and trust in him and repent of our sins, we can have eternal life and he's going to come back, right? He's going to come back for us. So what is this message? We've already probably said it several times, but Paul outlines it in the scripture very clearly. The first thing, if you're going on, along on your handout, Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for our sins. Amen? <laughs> he died for our sins. His sacrifice is sufficient for all people who believe, right? It's sufficient for everyone. Anyone who comes to him and believes and trusts can be saved from their sin. He died for our sins. It was, it was a, really a tragic event. He was betrayed by those closest to him. If you think about Jesus' ministry and his death, at one time he had thousands of believers, right? Remember the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of 4,000 and all of those people who followed him? Remember the next day when they came and he said, you're only coming for the food? You're not coming for me? He gradually started leaving, uh, uh, losing believers, the followers, until he was on the cross. And how many did he have on the cross? He had zero. He had zero followers. And that, I believe, was part of his uh, passion, so to speak, is that he died for our sins, but he died alone for our sins. Even the Father turned his eyes away from him at the time he took our sin upon himself. He was only there because he was unjustly accused, right? None of the accusations against him were true. They did make some statements like he's claiming to be God, but that was not chargeable because it was true, right? He is God. And so the accusations that were made against him uh, were taken wrongly, uh, and he suffered torture for crimes that he did not commit. And uh, I know many of you have probably seen The Passion of the Christ. I, I know we had our grandkids this weekend, and they were saying Friday, I think it was either Thursday or Friday, that Brandon and the Crystal, uh, they watched The Passion of the Christ together. And you might think, well, they're kind of young to see that, but they want them to see the, the punishment that Jesus went through on our behalf. He was beaten with a rod. He was put on his head a crown of thorns. He was whipped with a whip that was made out of bone and metal. Just a terrible punishment. He hung on a cross just like a common criminal. And in ridicule, they put up a sign that said the king of the Jews, but they did that to mock him, to ridicule him. He hung there and he literally died. Make no mistake, he did die. Right, Tony? <laughs> he died. We talked about in Sunday school, some people said, well, he swooned. There's the swoon theory. The swoon theory is that he only passed out. They took him off the cross and then he was somehow resuscitated. But we know that's not true because scripture tells us it's true. Not true, right? Because the soldier thrust the spear into his side and out came blood and water and that's a sure sign that the person has died he died he wasn't stolen the body wasn't stolen that's another 
excuse some people give. There are too many Roman guards, too many eyewitness accounts that say otherwise. He hung on a cross just like a common criminal, uh, in shame, naked, and he died on our behalf. And we need this, right? We need this. All of us need this. We need this because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, if you need to look up that verse, it says we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I can tell anyone in here, and not in any way being judgmental, and say that we all need a Savior and we all need to be saved from our sin. Most of us don't think of it that way, though. If you, I'm not talking about this group because you guys are pretty Bible savvy, but if we go out into the culture and talk about people and their sin, they would say, well, I'm not that bad. And they do that because their standard is the wrong standard. Their standard might be someone like Adolf Hitler or Jeffrey Dahmer, who was saved, by the way, a last-minute confession. But they would give uh, evidence like that. Or they might compare themselves to Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, and they, they might say, well, I'm not as good as Billy Graham, but I'm not all that bad. And the way they judge things is like the balance that you put weights in and they, they think, well, as long as my good outweighs my bad, God will probably accept me. But we know the truth of it is that one sin tilts everything this way. It tilts everything this way. And no amount of good works we put on this hand will ever bring that back up. Because it's not just the actions, but it's the attitude of our heart. The Bible says we have an attitude of rebellion against God. It's just not that we lie to get out of something, or it's not just that we steal to make something easier. It's that we are in rebellion against God. And the penalty ultimately for that, according to the Bible, is spiritual death, or to be in hell for eternity. Listen to 2 Thessalonians. It says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, that's talking about his coming back, right? He is going to come back. When he is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Now, I'm not one to try to scare people into heaven, <laughs> scare them out of hell into heaven. I think we have a better incentive, and that's the love that we should have for God. But if you're scared by that, you should be. You should be scared from that. That is biblical truth that those who deny, who are in rebellion against God, will go away from his presence into eternal destruction. We often think that, that the that the way to Christ is wide, that there's so many different ways. But the scripture says just the opposite. Jesus himself said, enter in by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, right? The way that is wide is the way that's easy. That's the way everyone is going. And those who enter it by it are many. But the way... The way that is narrow is the way of Jesus Christ. And so, biblically, 
the Bible says there is a penalty for our sin. <laughs> there is a penalty for our sin. That's eternal uh, torment in a place called hell. But it's not just the penalty of sin that Christ has come to deal with. It's the power of sin in our life as well. Power of sin. For a person who is unsaved, that power is tremendous. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, and Romans talks about us being in bondage to sin. We cannot help but sin. Our attitude is always against God. It's always for selfish reasons. We're never thinking about others. We're always thinking about ourselves. In fact, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So the power of the gospel is that it overcomes our penalty for sin, but it also breaks this power of sin in our life. And we are free, right? That's why I love the name Freedom Baptist Church because I believe it speaks about the freedom that we have in Christ to no longer sin and be in rebellion against God, but we can love him and serve him and love others with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everybody following that? Penalty of sin. He delivers us from the power of sin. In other words, we as Christians have the power to live a godly life. Doesn't mean we are perfect, but it means we are focused upon becoming like Jesus Christ for his glory and for his honor. There's one other thing though that he wants to deliver us from, and that's essentially what salvation means. The word salvation comes from the word which means deliver us, Deliverance. He wants to deliver us from the presence of sin. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah, <laughs> hallelujah right? Hallelujah. We want to be delivered from the presence of sin. You know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable that the penalty of sin can be wiped away. It's unbelievable that he can deliver us from the power of sin. Man, what I want is to be delivered from the presence of sin where I will no longer be under that temptation and no longer deal with everything, every selfish political statement, all that trash that goes on, that we'll be delivered from that. Paul says it in Galatians. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen? We will be delivered from this present evil age. Well, how, did, how does this even all come about? If this scale is tipped so, for, so far in this direction and none of my good works can help, what can be done? Well, Jesus, as the Son of God, lived a perfect, sinless life and took our sin to the grave. Amen? <laughs> he took all of that sin upon himself, and he suffered the penalty for that sin. He was buried. He took our sins to the grave. And he paid the debt for the sin that we owed. In other words, he died as a substitute for us. 
This is a, a, a theological term that I hope that you will remember, at least it sounds familiar, but Christ dying for our sin was a penal substitution. And all that means is that he literally paid the penalty for my sin. So like in a court scene, you've heard me say this before, you've heard many people say it before, it's so you were in a court scene and you had committed some horrendous crime and the judge is about to say that you are guilty and you're going to have to pay the penalty. And then Jesus steps in and says, I've got that. I've paid that penalty for him. So penal substitution means he's, he's paid the penalty, but substitution means that he did that for me in my place. And so there's this great exchange that's talked about in 2 Corinthians 5.21 where he takes upon my sin, but I get his righteousness. That's a wonderful deal, right? <laughs> that is a wonderful deal. He takes my sin and he gives me his righteousness. And when I believe and trust in him, that righteousness is accrued to my account. And so when God the Father looks at me through the mediator Jesus Christ now, he sees me as 100% perfect, perfect, holy, and blameless. That verse in 2 Corinthians says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus did that by dying on the cross for us. And he purchased all of that for us. And for those who are his children, he purchased the gift of faith as well. So that everything is supplied by Christ. That's why we can say Christ alone. Everything comes through what he paid on the cross for us. The importance of today, of course, is that Jesus rose on the third day. Death could not hold him. Why could death not hold Jesus Christ in the grave? He was righteous, right? He had no sin of his own. Otherwise, he could not be kept in the grave. The power of an indestructible life. He popped up out of the grave and cannot be held by that. And he, of course, he appeared to many people. He appeared to some of the ladies first. He appeared to Cephas who is Peter, he appeared to the disciples, he appeared to over 500 people at one time, he appeared to James and all the apostles, he appeared to Paul, and he is victorious over sin and death, and his sacrifice is acceptable to God, and we know it is, because he was able to be risen from the dead. If he had committed one sin, he would have had to stay in the grave, but he didn't, he was victorious over sin and death. And I think it's later in I think it's later in 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul says, "Oh death, where's your sting?" And uh, it's not there any longer because Jesus has taken that away. So the big question today is, you know, if you believe this the way I presented this today that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose, that he was buried and took our sins to the grave, that he rose on the third day, how will you respond to the gospel? of God's grace. And that's where this comes into play. So pull that out 
Because Jesus, <laughs> the Bible just doesn't present this and say, take it or leave it. Jesus commands that we repent and believe in the gospel. He really does do that. And so no decision is to make a decision, right? No decision is to make a decision. But here's what I'm asking you today, just by looking at your handout, these three questions. Number one, I want you to check one of these. I am already a believer and reaffirm the gospel today. That could be the response of many people here. Doesn't mean that we don't have sin to repent of, right? It could be today that you are a Christian, that you have sin, and you need to bring that to God and repent, turn away from it, and trust in him for that. And he will always forgive, right? He will always forgive. But then the second one, I am by God's grace trusting in Christ today and, and repenting of my sin, I accept Christ's offer of salvation. If that's you, if you are by God's grace trusting in Christ this today, making that decision today and repenting of my sin, I accept Christ's offer of salvation. If you are able to mark that today, then I can say that we rejoice with you <laughs> in the fact that today you have become a follower of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, and you are on your way to your eternal reward in heaven. Last one, you may still have questions. I need to find out more about Christ and his offer of salvation. That's a very valid thing for you to mark. But if you mark that, follow up with me, okay? Follow up with me, one of the deacons, one of the Sunday school teachers. Follow up with me so that we can answer your questions and make sure that you understand what decision you need to make. We rejoice today in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, amen? amen. He has provided everything that we need for salvation. I think that's a wonderful thing about it. We, ha we can contribute nothing. We contribute nothing because all of the glory and honor belongs to him. And so when we are saved, we gladly say, it wasn't me, it was God Amen. who did the work in my life. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity that we've had to look at the scripture very clearly and uh, answer some questions maybe, but then also you not, only, you not only give us information, but you ask us to make a decision. And so I pray that each one here is considering these questions and will mark them down, be honest with themselves. And if they have received Christ as their Lord and Savior today, that they will tell me, that they will tell the church, that we might rejoice with them. And if they have questions, that's great as well. But you do your work here today as we close in this final song. Help us not to be passive, but to active, be active in responding to Christ's call today to salvation. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs>